If you have a copy of God's Word, that's our teaching text this morning, uh, John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Uh, once again, uh, welcome if you are here in uh, connection to parent commissioning. Uh, we want you to know that Journey Church is a church who genuinely loves the next generation, and we believe that the next generation is not the church of the future, but the church of today, and we want to live that out in very practical ways through parent commissioning, youth ministry, student ministry, uh, and, and kids ministry. And I say kids ministry, not kids care, because what's happening back there um, while we're in here is ministry happening but kids being loved on, taught about God's word and Jesus' love for them. Uh, And if it's your first time here or first time in a while, we are in a series called Restored, where we're looking specifically at the four accounts of John's gospel where Jesus comes back to the disciples after his resurrection. And so in John chapters 20 and 21, we see four intentional stories where Jesus reveals himself twice to a group of disciples and twice to individuals. And what we're going to see here is a, uh, in week two of this, in John chapter 20, you've already heard it read, but Thomas. It's a popular text, and it's a text where we give Thomas a nickname uh, for this one account, a nickname called the Doubter or Doubting Thomas. How would you like it if you had a nickname given to you that stuck with you for the rest of history based off one thing or one story? Some of you are chuckling because this is you, right? You did this one thing one time in junior high and all of a sudden all your friends call you this inside name that nobody else really gets and you don't really want to share the context of. Well, this is Thomas, the Doubter, Doubting Thomas. But we've all been where Thomas is. Right, We've been there in this moment where we've heard some really great news, if you will, but we've struggled to believe it fully. Like for me, when I was in college, my senior year, the, exactly the last week of college, I was in this uh, section of classes that was a four-section class, meaning that we took 101 and then 201, but you had to have 101 to take 201 and 301, but you had to have 101 and 201, et cetera, all the way to 401. And it was the final week of my senior year of college. It was finals week. Some of you are there right now. Like it's your senior year. It's finals week. It's crunch time. You've got to study really hard. You're ready for graduation. It's coming soon. For high schoolers, you're in the same boat, right? it's, It's coming soon. Well, for this specific class, my professor invited those who were taking 401 who have kind of made it over to his house for a dinner. He wanted to celebrate us about completion of our class and completion of our college degree, reminisce about funny stories from college, and uh, talk about the future. Well, in this specific class, in 101, there was about 35 to 40 students, but in 401, there was only four or five of us left. So we had made it. We had braved the test. We had gotten to the finish line, if you will. And we were sitting there, we were having dinner at his house, and we were enjoying each other, and we were laughing about stories, and about the end of the dinner, the professor kind of stops, he's like, okay, let's talk about your final tomorrow. Talk about a Debbie Downer, right? And, uh, and so he's like, he's, he goes on, he kind of tells the story like this, he says, I've calculated all of your scores, all of you will pass the class, no matter how good or how poorly that you do on this final tomorrow. I technically can't let you not take the final by university standards, but I can give you a really easy test. So go home, go to sleep, don't study, come to class tomorrow, take the final, it'll be easy, don't worry about it. 
Now, if you're me, part of you inside goes, yes, like this is it. Like, don't worry about it. Don't study. Just go home, go to sleep. Don't fret. Don't worry. But if another part of me was like, hmm, is he joking me right now? Like, if I go home and I just like flunk this thing tomorrow, like, am I going to fail the class and not graduate? Like, this all rides on me passing. I doubt it. I had some hesitancy in me, even though I wanted to go. I wanted to be like, yes, let's go home and go to sleep. And I don't know if I got any sleep that night. And I, I just laid in bed, not studying. Like, okay, is this real life? I don't know. Like, but luckily it was real life and it was just an easy test and, and I did pass. Uh, you know, that's good. But, but this is Thomas. In this moment, if you look at John chapter 20, Thomas hears this amazing news. That he wants to believe. That I believe he, he wants to go there, but he just can't. He has too many questions. He has too many unresolved things in his mind, in his heart, and in his spirit. But he just can't do it. And l- let's look together at this scene. Verse 24. It says this. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. That's an important detail that we have to know uh, as we look at this story. Last week, we looked at the text right above where Jesus appears to the disciples that are huddled up in this house. They're locked the doors, locked the windows. They don't let anybody in. They're terrified of the Jews. And Thomas isn't there. We don't know why Thomas isn't there. We just know he's not present with them. And then verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. They testified of what they had experienced in their life. But this is Thomas's response. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Unless I touch him myself, unless I see myself, this is what Thomas proclaims to them. I can't imagine receiving this news as one of these 10 disciples, if you will, of like, never. And you're like, but you don't understand. Like we saw him, but this is where Thomas is at. And this is the account. This one little verse is where Thomas gets his name, the doubter, where Thomas gets his nickname, doubting Thomas. But I want to propose to you that this is probably, this entire scene is not an adequate name. This is not an adequate depiction of who Thomas is because in this one scene, along with two others that I'm gonna share with you, Thomas has this virtue that too many of us lack in our faith. This virtue of honesty. Because what Thomas isn't willing to do in this scene and others that we'll look at is to tell his closest friends that he is somewhere in his faith, in his mind, in his heart, where he's not. He's unwilling to just go along with them of being like, oh yeah, that's cool. But he has this virtue of honesty that he is stuck by with all throughout his story. Let's look at two other accounts in John's gospel. In John eleven sixteen, Thomas is quoted as saying this. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we, have, we may die with him. In the context of this scene in John chapter 11, the disciples are getting ready to go with Jesus back to Bethany where Lazarus was sick, where Lazarus is going to die. But they're all terrified that the Jews are going to kill them, that they're terrified that if Jesus goes back, he's going to be put to death. And if he gets put to death, they're going to come after us next. And they're terrified. But Thomas, in brutal honesty, 
is unwilling to do two things. He's unwilling to depart from Jesus, allow Jesus to go alone, and he's unwilling to allow Jesus to die alone. So he tells them the truth. I'm going with you, even if it costs me my life. He's honest in this moment. He, he tells his other disciples, hey, let us all go, that we can all die with him. There's just brutal honesty in this moment, that he's fully convinced we're going to die, but let's go. The next scene, in John chapter 14, verse 5, Jesus is in the middle of this very confusing speech on the night that he would give his life. That he would give his life for our lives, for the disciples. And, and he's telling them this confusing thing. Like, hey, don't worry about it. Because where I'm going, you know where, you're, where I'm going. I'll come back. Don't worry about it. And Thomas, like the kid that everybody wishes they were in class, but nobody's willing to actually be, pokes up his hand and says, hey, teacher, I'm not tracking. I'm not tracking. Can you, can you be a little bit more clear, because this is what Thomas says. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? We don't know. Like, we we are not tracking with you, Jesus. Like, we're we're not in it with you. Everybody else is just kind of like doing what you do in class, right? You're like, yep, mm mm-hmm, yep, I got you. And you're just like, I have no clue what's happening right now. (laughs) It's all been us. But Thomas is willing to say, hey, I need you to stop. I need you to elaborate a little further. We see this in the story with Lazarus and the story of Jesus. And then in this weird moment where he's unwilling to believe. So we can know that Thomas is honest. Thomas is honest with God. He's honest with his fellow disciples because he is unwilling to say that he is somewhere where he actually is not. He's unwilling to say, yeah, I got faith. No, he's willing to say, I'm not there. He's willing to say, I won't believe. He is willing to be honest with his fellow disciples and ultimately honest with God when he had disbelief. Can we say that about ourselves? Can we say that about us, that we are honest in the context of our faith at the brutal level of honesty that Thomas is at? where he doubts, when he lacks faith, when he's willing to die, he just tells it like it is. He's like, I won't believe unless this happens. Or do we have just enough of southern cordial politeness that we just nod along? Yep, that's good, God's good, amen. Even when you don't feel like it's good. And you just hide it, you bury it up, you bottle it up, like, yep, I'll deal with this on my own. Or can you, with brutal honesty, with a group of friends that you've been following Jesus with passionately for three years, now that you doubt, you're like, yep, I'm going to tell it like it is. Or do you just bury, you nod along, yep, that's good, amen, let's pray, we can go home. Because this is what Thomas says, and in the very next verse, this is what we get, verse 26. It says, eight days later. Whew, that must have been an awkward week. And eight days is the Jewish way of counting because they would count the first day and the last day, both with a numeral, and they wouldn't start at zero, they'd actually start at one. So if we're counting like Sunday, they wouldn't say zero, and then Monday is one, they would go one, two, three, so that's why you get eight. It's just Sunday to Sunday, it's between Sundays. It's a week later. Eight days later. What must have that eight days have been like for Thomas, for the disciples, 
going about their normal lives. He has dropped this bombshell on them of no faith. I've got all disbelief. And all these guys have seen Jesus in their presence, risen, alive, showing him the, the, the nail scars in his wrist and his side. And he commissioned them. He said to those disciples, peace be with you, two times. Breathed on them, said, receive my Holy Spirit. And then he said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And then Thomas comes back and they're like, we've seen the Lord. And he's like, yeah, right, liars. Those eight days for Thomas, do you think he wrestled in his mind? What if they're right? What if I'm the one who's wrong? No, they'd have more evidence than that. If they, they, they could have done something like, uh, they could have showed me more evidence than just saying it. They're lying. It's not, it's not me, it's them. Well, maybe it is me. He must have wrestled. And the disciples too, they're also wrestling because look at this verse together. It says, and his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. This verse is almost a mirror image of John 20, verse 19, where the disciples are locked in the house for fear of the Jews. Why are they still there? They've been commissioned. They've been peace be stilled upon them. They've received the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Go do ministry. And yet, they're still house locked right there yet again. It must be apparently that they're kind of in the same state they were a week earlier. Wrestling. Fearful. They know what God's asked them to do, but their feet hadn't caught up with their head yet. How many of us have been or are currently right here with the disciples, knowing what God has asked of us, but yet our lived experience is not matching what we know God has called us to? We, we're not there yet. We're still wrestling. We've seen the Lord. We've witnessed his work in our life, and yet we know what he's asking of us, and we're still right there yet again. We're still wrestling. This is what the disciples were. The only difference here is Thomas is here this time. And then he shows up in their presence. And what you're going to see is that Jesus rebukes Thomas, not for his questions and doubts, but for his disbelief. So Jesus doesn't have attention with our doubts. He has attention with our disbelief. And we'll nuance that in just one second. But in the midst of between the Sundays, if you will, because one week each... What I want to put before you is one resource and four suggestions for you in the midst of Between the Sundays. Meaning if you have doubts, if you have questions, if you're wrestling. The first thing I want to show you is the resource. And so there's a little book uh, called Before You Lose Your Faith by the Gospel Coalition that is a great resource if you are in one of two camps. If you are doubting, you're struggling, you have questions, this is a great resource. If you are walking alongside someone in life that has doubting, has questions, it's a great resource. And you can find it in one easy spot. If you go to, you heard it, jcsignup.com, there are two buttons there at the top of the screen. 
Uh, there is actually a free PDF version if you want to read it uh, this week or start going through it. Or there's a link to the Amazon if you want to buy this physical copy doc I have right here. It's called Before You Lose Your Faith. And so that's the resource. Now let's get to the actual suggestions. The commercial's over. Back to the sermon. All right. So between the Sundays, what do we do between the Sundays? The first thing that I would suggest that we see in Thomas's life as evidence in the midst of his doubt is he built community. He was building community. So that's what we should do. We need to build community. And what I, what I put in there, I want to put before you this, the word build. You see, a lot of times at church, we talk about this word, find community. Like community is a $20 bill in the park that we stumbled upon. And you're like, oh, look at that. Put that in my pocket for later. We'll get some coffee. But no, like you don't stumble upon community. Community is built. It's not found. And what I mean by built is community, what we would desire community to be and the potential that community can be is exciting, life-fulfilling, and altogether beautiful. But community is also hard, messy, and at times extremely boring. Because what we could do in the midst of those times when it's hard, messy, and boring is check out, move on, and get on with our lives. Because Thomas, in this moment, think about the tension in the midst of these 11 guys who are disciples. 10 of them have seen the risen Lord. They've testified about it. And Thomas says, I will never believe what you believe unless I witness it myself. And where are they a week later? Together. All together in the same room. And Jesus shows up to them. Thomas is unwilling to check out of the community that he's invested so much in, even though he's still not with them in their faith at that moment. He's still present. He's still there. In the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your doubt, what I would put before you is invest and build community. Even when it's messy, even when it's hard, even when it's at times a little bit boring. Build community. And the second thing that I would suggest is that you need to be honest in the context of that community. Because it's not about being cordial and just being polite, nodding along, yep, I got you, I'm tracking with you. Faith community has called us to be honest. All throughout the scriptures, God is depicted as the God of light. There's no darkness or shifting shadows within him, that light, that things grow in the light. Good things grow in the light. We should, we should be honest with each other in the midst of when the week's not good and when it's great, when it's hard and when it's easy. In every midst of it that, like Thomas, we should be honest with where we're at. Now, the next two is, I'm not sure if Thomas did this or not, but I would suggest that we all should do this in the midst of our struggle and doubts and when we're not doubting. We should ask questions in the context of community. We should ask questions in the context of the community that we are building into, that we are being honest in, that it's so easy for us in our digital age to just say, hey, just Google that, YouTube that. Everybody's a self-proclaimed expert on every issue because we have a YouTube channel, all right? Like, but, and I'm not discounting those at all. I think the internet is an amazing resource it can be, but we should ask questions in the context of our community that we are investing in and together search for answers. Paul tells the Thessalonian church in Thessalonians 5.21 to test everything and hold on to what is good, to put everything to the test. Test this sermon, exactly. 
Every week, test it. Put it to the test and hold on to what is good in the midst of it. And then the fourth thing that I'm gonna put before you that we know that Thomas came around to was he recovered orthodoxy or recover orthodoxy. I wanted to pick a different word, but there's not a better word for than orthodoxy. And the orthodoxy simply means the agreed upon and established faith. That the faith that Jesus died for, the one that he came to establish, not our version of it or someone else's version of it, that we want to pursue what the scriptures say, not what tradition says. And not that the tradition is bad. There are traditions that are founded upon the scriptures, but we don't want to hold on to things that, aren't, that Jesus didn't call us to hold on to just for the sake of holding on to it if it's not biblically and accurate. In fact, one of my favorite New Testament letters, Jude, writes this to a context of people that are struggling in the midst of this disagreement. In Jude 3, it says, Contend for the faith that once for all delivered to the saints. The faith, the one that Jesus died for, not our version of it, a specific thing, the one that is for all the saints, those that Christ died for, gave his life for, lived for. That's what we're about, the faith. The one Jesus showed up and gave himself for it and rose back from the dead for. So those are the four things. So why did Thomas get rebuked? Let's look at that together. Verse 27. And then he said to Thomas, this is Christ speaking, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. We call him doubting Thomas because he had doubts. But what we see Jesus doing is rebuking him, not for his doubts, but for his disbelief. So what's the difference between disbelief and doubt? Well, doubt is often an intellectual problem. Doubt is often when we have questions, when we feel overwhelmed by our circumstances and how our faith intersects with our circumstances in our life. We have some questions, simple as that, and we need to do some research, some digging, some building a community. That's what we need to pursue. But unbelief is a moral problem. It's simply, we will not believe. The way that Jesus phrases this, this turn of phrase, do not disbelieve, is in the middle voice. And simply what that means is the thing that is acting is acting upon itself. So when Jesus calls to Thomas and says, do not disbelieve, he's essentially saying, Thomas, get out of your own way. Because you've been given evidence and you are rejecting it. The way that you are acting is affecting yourself. The way that you're going about this is affecting you because you've been given evidence. Apparently in God's sovereignty, in God's big picture plan for Thomas to not be there, he didn't know. It wasn't that he was like, oh no, where's Thomas? He knew he wasn't there when he showed up the first time because apparently 10 eyewitnesses was supposed to be enough for Thomas. Ten people all in agreement saying, we have seen our Lord and he's alive. Thomas was supposed to apparently leap for joy, but he rejected it. Ten eyewitness accounts of saying Jesus is alive. And that's when his sight leads him to belief. Because what we notice here is in verse 28, Thomas gives the most clear presentation of presenting who Jesus is in his post-resurrection. He says, verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. 
my Lord, my God. He uses the personal possessive in this regard that he is saying he is not just some God. He is not just a God, but he is my Lord and my God. That he is equivalent to God Almighty from the Old Testament, Yahweh, who rescued and redeemed his people from slavery. That's the Jesus that I'm looking at before my eyes. Holy cow. So honest Thomas is willing to reject faith when he's not there, but when he's all in, he goes to complete surrender. Because for him to claim Jesus is my Lord and my God, he's no longer just this teacher from Nazareth that I'm following, but he is my Savior and my Redeemer, and I'm all in. Have you completely surrendered your life? That in the midst of your journey of faith, that as you're going through this life, you have questions, you have doubts, but has there come to this moment when you've said, I'm all in that like Thomas you can proclaim you're my Lord and my God I'm going all in on you Jesus are you still just kind of floating along through life like man if I if I could just get these few questions answered like I'll go in then like if I can I just got so many hang-ups if you will Jesus says to Thomas, after his amazing proclamation about who Jesus is, verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the only other beatitude recorded in the gospels other than Matthew's list of the beatitudes. And it ends us here with this Post-resurrection, Jesus proclaiming this beatitude on you and on all those followers of Jesus who have faith in him and yet who have not seen him physically with our eyes. That he essentially says, happy are those who without the experience of Thomas still have gone all in on Jesus. Happy are those that without the experience of Thomas, that Jesus standing before us in flesh and blood is not required. Blessed are you, Jesus says, because you still have gone all in on me. That you don't need this external evidence of my physical presence because what you've been presented is enough. And what do I mean by what we've been presented? By the witness of the scriptures because John says... Verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. What we've looked at, what we've studied for the past 12 weeks are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That this witness of the scriptures, of the eyewitness testimonies of the Bible is written that we may place our faith in Jesus. May we be reminded that all of us live by faith in something, in ourselves, in our finances, in our experiences, in our status. But to be a Jesus follower is to put the object of your faith in Christ personalized God, like Thomas says, he is my Lord and my God.
I'm all in on you, Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, hear the words of Peter from 1 Peter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Can you say this with Peter that I love Jesus even though I've not seen him with my eyes yet, but one day I will. Can you accept this beatitude that say, I am a happy one, that I hadn't had the experience of Thomas, but I'm all in on Jesus. Or where in your faith journey are you at? Where are you at in this? If you would, would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'd love to end in a time of prayer. Can you get in a prayer posture that you're comfortable with? Maybe it's your eyes closed and your hands open in your lap or maybe it's your hands together. Whatever prayer posture that you would like to be in. And I just want to invite everyone in the quietness of your own heart to just simply, with the words that we've heard from the scriptures and expounded upon, would you pray simply, Holy Spirit, can you reveal to me areas of my life where my actions are not matching what I believe I trust in you? Can you reveal to me areas of my life where it just doesn't match up? You also pray, Holy Spirit, could you reveal to me where I'm at on this journey of faith? If I think I'm all in, but show me where I'm not all in. Would you give me the courage to move and act and respond to your word? If it's talk to somebody, would, would you just move me to talk to somebody? For you who in the room who identified with the doubter of in Thomas, that that's maybe right now where you're at, where you feel like you're between the Sundays. Which one of those four things that do you need to invest in this week? Is it building community? Is it being honest with the community that you already have? Is it asking questions? Is it digging in to the faith? The faith of the scriptures, the faith that Christ gave his life for, that rose from the dead for, is it getting into God's word? Holy Spirit, we pray over this body that you would allow your word to do the work. In our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits, God, would you move us to action? May we say with Thomas, you are our Lord and our God, and may we see the areas of our hearts that you're exposing to us right now and do something with it. The areas of our lives where we proclaim that we have faith, but our feet aren't matching our obedience that we say we have in you. We know what you've asked us to do, but we are struggling to do it. Give us the courage. And whatever area of life it's in, would you give us the strength and the courage to do something with it? Holy Spirit, we trust you 
as our leader and our guide pointing to Christ. May with everything we do, honor and glorify you, Jesus. In your holy, precious name we pray. Amen.